Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Michael Kreski on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rippold, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. Every year, the New Director's New Films Festival introduces audiences to fresh and adventurous cinema from around the world. It's presented by Film at Lincoln Center and the Museum of Modern Art, and for many New York moviegoers, it's a lovely prelude to the spring. This year, the 49th edition of New Director's New Films has been postponed, and so I thought it would be nice to sit down with MoMA's chief curator of film, Rajendra Roy, for another installment in the Film Comment podcast series at home. We talked about a couple of Raj's comfort food movies, and we also discussed how an institution like MoMA plans to adapt its film programming to the current moment. Joining me for this podcast were my colleagues Clinton Crute, digital editor, and Devika Girish, assistant editor. Let's go to the conversation. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nick Rapold. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and this is our special daily edition of the podcast, which we're doing to keep ourselves sane as much as anything, um, but we're finding it helps to reach out and, and talk. And one thing we're talking about is what people are watching, because that's a way we're diverting ourselves, distracting ourselves a little. And so far, it's been it's been pretty nice. Uh, we'll see if life uh, intervenes uh, even more than it, than it has. Um, today, we're very pleased to have a very special guest with us uh, who uh, I, I don't think has ever been on the podcast, so that, uh, it's, it's, it's extra special for that reason. Um, I'll, I'll let him introduce herself, our special guest. Hey guys, um, it's Regenera Roy from MoMA, and it is weird that I probably have not been on the podcast before, but thank you for welcoming me. Yes, uh, a terrible oversight, <laughs> but uh, we can remedy this. And I, I'm and, sure um, you had millions of more interesting options. So. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, but I'm, I mean, I'm sure you're really uh, busy uh, now as, as well. I mean, we can we can talk a bit about that. I just want to also um, introduce um, uh, my, my my co-pilot, as, as we sometimes call each other. <laughs> uh, I'm Devika Grish, assistant editor, licensed pilot. Certified <laughs> chef, all of it. <laughs> it can be, it could be anything. It's like that old New Yorker cartoon, you know. <laughs> Nobody on the on the internet, you knows what you are. So exactly. I'm, I'm I'm a licensed pilot. I'm an acrobat. <laughs> well, I know who to call when we're gonna fly out of here eventually. So to that <laughs> mysterious right. island of Doctor Moreau somewhere. Oh goodness! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, how yeah, how are how are things uh, by you? How, how are you holding up? Uh, you know, I think um, in a lot of ways, obviously, we're we're the lucky ones. Um, you know, we have a great community to both reach out to and rally behind. Um, and you know, so many in our community are, are directly suffering already. Um, but 
thrilled that there are visionaries who are reaching out to support cinema workers, um, people who are directly affected by what's happened in the last 10 days um, in terms of cinema shutting down. And I guess just gearing up for um, the next couple of months as we both um, deal with the impact as it is ongoing and then gear up for um, the kind of rebirth of cinema culture um, later this year. Yeah, it's, I mean, it does, it's, it's pretty much very, a direct hit in a way, um, just because of the very public nature of, of theaters and the way that community is so, you know, the heart of it in a way is, is gathering together. Um, So it's, you know, it also ends up raising some questions um, about how people think about movies to a certain extent, um, which people already obviously have been doing. Um, but uh, yeah, and what it, function movies play in people's lives? I think definitely. Uh, yeah. I mean, we've always known that in times of crisis, um, cinema is something that has brought people together. Literally, in the past, um, happily in ways, and in this new era, um, in ways yet um, unimagined in terms of the streaming universe. I mean, we knew how critical it was for the, you know, development and, you know, kind of current appreciation of cinema, but not to the extent where it is literally the holdout of cinema culture in this Mm -hmm. moment. Um, And, uh, you know, but the the fact remains that movies still bring people together and still provide comfort. Um, And that's been true for over a hundred years. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's absolutely right. And, and, and with, it's what's so pernicious about this particular our latest catastrophe uh is 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 not being able to get in in groups but yeah through this podcast we're making people together (laughs) yeah Yeah. Um, but also interesting techniques we'll we'll talk about um shall we talk a bit about what, what movies we we turn to to keep our minds off things well maybe before movies i'm curious to know what non movie things are people are movie people doing that's true <laughs> you know it's that's that's actually very apt because i have actually resisted falling into the k hole of comfort as i call <laughs> movie movie viewing you know um i haven't even cracked open my um closet full of dvds which yes i actually do i mean it's not like glenn kenny level or you know um, criterion (laughs) closet level but i i hold on to them for whatever reason that my husband i'm sure has always wondered why and now we know why but i haven't i haven't cracked that open i haven't really even allowed myself other than normal viewing times like evening or whatever to fall into it because I think hanging on to a certain sense of normalcy is still important. Um, mm. That there is work to be done, connections to be maintained, and obviously, um, you know, just a lot of communication about okay, what do we, what do we do in the short term, and how do we plan for further down the line? Mm. So, I'm saving my comfort food for when I think I'll really need it, which I'm sure I will. Um, <laughs> You're yeah. rationing it. Exactly. That's there you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> rationing our, our comfort food, yeah. But certainly um, you know, the that's where series streaming and stuff is fun because you can get a, like a, a quick jolt of something um and not, you know, totally escape um the realities of, of keeping a work a day kind of schedule. Yeah. Yeah. What's I'm sure the prevailing mood among many people that you're in touch with is a little um 
yeah, <laughs> beleaguered uh, for sure. Um, it's filmmakers it is, and everyone. But I mean, it's more, I think we all had to kind of mourn the immediate losses, which, you know, in our case were things like new directors and, you know, obviously South by and, you know, events that um, were so critical to so many, the lives of so many filmmakers um, kind of take a beat, mourn that, but then immediately kind of dive into, okay, what are our options in terms of getting mm. um, great art in front of all the people who need it right now? So working on streaming options, working on, you know, what content do we have? And in, in MoMA's case, you know, like, okay, we've got this amazing collection. We're guardians of, of cinema history. Most of it is analog, which is great and has always kept me, you know, very sane and comforted knowing that it's in a vault that, you know, as long as I keep the power on, we'll be safe. Um, but how much of that do we actually have digitized and how much do we have access to in an immediate sense when we can't even get into the offices to start to make available? And, and happily, um, we will have both um, previously seen work and some actual new work that was in the pipeline that will be ready to go over the coming weeks. So that's kind of been our immediate um, goal. And I know a lot of people are working on that. It's like, how do we augment what's already out there in terms of streaming and, and making sure that there's a diverse spectrum? You know, it's not just the mainstream streamers. It's, it's like across the board, like, what can we offer? Oh, that's really exciting. Um, can you give us any hints or a uh, teaser yet or no? I can I give you some hints. Uh, there'll be more official announcements. But basically, you know, we're looking at MoMA's program um, and, you know, in our brick and mortar facilities, our quote unquote analog facilities. And how can we um, just extend what we have been doing there into the digital realm? And that's both, you know, kind of the gallery experience as well as the theatrical experience. So that's kind of where we're starting. And then um, I've given my team um, direction to kind of then dig deep and think about what digital assets we might already have kind of like in our databases that we can access um, and try and come up with new programs that weren't anything we had already been thinking about um, that could be kind of like new programs for this digital moment uh, based on what we have from the collection. So yeah, first up will be things that are extensions of um, already kind of on view stuff, um, which hopefully will be exciting for people and cut into the loss of not actually being able to walk into MoMA right now. And then after that will come kind of like new ideas that we hadn't even started to discuss before this all started. Yeah, that that well, that's that's something to look forward to. Uh, I mean, uh, and and these are are is it going to be on the model of um, you're sort of making these available for all who can go to the website or? Yeah. I mean, this will all be free and available content. Um, and it's, but what we're hoping to do is not just um, be a streaming service, right? Really try and give that augmented experience. So, um, you know, hopefully even beyond wraparounds, like really kind of in-depth um, exploration of topics, themes, and, you know, films in our case, there'll be other um, works of art, types of art, that will be discussed as well, but, you know, really expand um, the viewing experience to reflect what MoMA can do as kind of a translator of ideas, um, not mm. just, um, a, you know, straight presenter, right? So our goal isn't just to be, you know, MoMA.org streaming site, you know, it's, it's really like the enhanced, enhanced experience of going to a museum with interpretive materials and discussion, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's great. Some of yeah. that is already actually up there. So little pitch, I mean, although it's free and accessible to everybody, it's uh, moma.org slash magazine. Um, and that's kind of where all of our 
digital content lives um, that's specifically created for the streaming experience. Um, it's not just like walk through a gallery and here's a picture of a painting on a wall. You know, it, it really is has all been designed and created for um, digital appreciation. That's yeah, no, cool. that's a great. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great site. I, um, uh, the magazine. I've, I've definitely looked at that. Um, yeah, no, I definitely miss. Uh, <laughs> I, I miss miss the uh, the retros and and and, and all, all the programming. Exactly. I went to see um, thirteen. Like I don't. Know, it seems like a, a long time ago, but uh, just at the tail end of that series, um, which oh, is yeah. a, a movie that was totally new to me. Um, and even though I was supposedly seeing a lot of movies right at that time. <laughs> um, and that was really, uh, really uh, eye-opening and interesting to me. I mean, look, it's one great thing. And, you know, one reassurance I could give my team is we've just come out in a, of a, a whole period right after MoMA had just reopened, which is, mm. of course, like doubly sad for us. We just launched this brand new, beautiful baby. And oh boy. Um, now no one can go see it. But um, all of our programming was collection-based. So we've just spent the last year literally digging deep into the crevices of, of the collection to kind of tell stories that, you know, were unexpected. And that's where, you know, the, the teenage stories came and the um, kind of sex positive, like we did a whole porn show at MoMA, like, you know, all this stuff. But we also <laughs> discovered a lot of work that maybe wouldn't have been so shocking to know that MoMA had, but, you know, would be a really rich um, streaming program potentially. So we're all geared up for kind of mm. collection focused work in an era where shipping prints or, you know, even files um, online in terms of brand new films is going to be tough for the moment. If we can go right to what we actually have um, mm. again, like um, we're in a very privileged position to be able to do that. And, and we want to, you know, own that and, and be responsible in ways that I know a lot of presenting organizations don't have the privilege of having immediate access to, to, you know, actual films right now. I have a question, Raj, about the technical aspect of this. How are you guys, um, uh, are you digitized? You're not currently digitizing, I assume. So the analog material. So you have a backlog of digit of that's yeah. And that was the scramble last week. It was like, okay, what do we have on our drives mm -hmm. what do we have um at the labs right now because we you know we're constantly digitizing material in the process of restoring films so right. we we still issue analog prints for most m many of our restorations but most all of it is happening digital in the you know mm -hmm. scanned and then um kind of uh, cleaned up and then reissued analog or and then we also have dcps so like how much do we have in hand how much is coming how much could we reasonably expect to make it through a lab before it closes kind of thing. So we're, we're doing that inventory. So that's where I'm saying some of this will be brand new. I mean, they're not new films necessarily, but new restorations that right. potentially have not been seen yet because they're literally fresh off, you know, uh, somebody's hard drive at a lab. Um, so that's what we're trying to scope out right now. Um, and the signs are positive, at least, you know, for, for the coming weeks that we'll have um, exciting new material. And, and obviously we hope the labs keep working, right? You know, yeah. um, uh, that would be the best for, for everybody. The question then is like, literally if they mail a hard drive to MoMA right now, I mean, the mailroom will accept it, but we can't get to it. Yeah. Um, so can we get in a Dropbox situation? You know, there are other, 
in a way, you know, like this digital era has allowed for a lot of different options that wouldn't have been possible even 10 years ago. So this conversation, for example, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But now I'm having, I'm having fantasies of things that, that would surface like, uh, (laughs) Some like you know, foyard like cereal or something where you can post yeah. one each day. <laughs> well, Leave on know, here. That would be yeah. Amazing. I mean, no promises, but we did do like um, this weirdo um, cereal um, thing that we found. Like there, we had some Dick Tracy, really early Dick Tracy cereal stuff, um, and a couple of those. I don't, you know, and again, a lot of we showed that in the theaters, and now I'm like, well. Did enough people come see them? Because we could, you know, repurpose that online. You know, like yeah. not everybody was able to come. So yeah, yeah, hang tight. Okay. <laughs> so That's, we shall. Yeah, that'll be um, future subjects for for future daily daily yeah. podcasts. I'm sure. But you know, and then again, in the meantime, back to your original kind of um, question about this. Mm-hmm. Excited for people to have new options, but at the same time, it's so reassuring to have access to the things that bring you back to an era where this wasn't even a thought, right? You know, like those oh, movies that are like, oh my God, right. We used to be able yeah. to drink in a bar yeah. together or whatever. Although that's so, it's also <laughs> kind of, that's, I found that to be kind of distressing, frankly. Last yeah. week, but I, I bet we'll like the nostalgia will kick in at some point and yeah. then it'll just be fun, you know, to remember. <laughs> right. It does feel kind of surreal to really... I mean, for instance, to watch any movie with people outside gathering, it's just, um, yeah, it's all, all movies that are not, uh, I think dread inducing feel strange at the moment, but we'll see how, how we all change and adapt in a week. It just feels, yeah, it's out of tune with the moment with your, with your own emotions where you're feeling dread, but you're watching like, you know, screwball comedy. that's where where i find yeah sci-fi really comes in handy right because it's like you can just oh right this is not reality Um, oh yeah Yeah, and also you know it helps because it it feels like not all that unimaginable i think it's like hard to uh, grapple with the current moment because it feels so unprecedented but then you watch sci-fi movies and it's like everyone's thought of everything already this like this existed in someone's imagination or mind or alternate reality and um yeah it feels like there's some kind of roadmap which may may not always end well but that's not very reassuring the roadmap if the roadmap is like a philip k dick novel you're not really making me feel very good about where this is headed but uh, that's but that's actually um, I think that was w- one of the movies um, you you uh, m- might have mentioned Raj that you you kind of like to to turn to you or you will turn to when when the moment is right. Uh, I guess it sounds like something that's maybe weirder <laughs> than even the current moment, which might be comforting in some way. Uh, oh yeah, no, definitely. Um, I will go back to and and do often go back to David Lynch's Dune. Um, I mean, obviously, if I could go to Yodorovsky's Dune, I would, but I can't. So <laughs> nobody can. But um, actually, the last the last pl- movie I watched on a plane, which was scarily not that long ago, um, was this weird documentary about the making of Alien. Oh and, yes. You know, um, oh yeah, I saw that and, the one at Sundance. That was at Sundance. Uh, was it at Sundance? Um, I think it was. I, it was. We had a report. Somebody on, reported on it from Sundance for a film comment. I do okay. know that. I can confirm. 
Yeah, I mean, it 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 was filled filled with kind of like weird flourishes that I'm like, hmm, not sure why that's there, but um, <laughs> it also had a real a lot of interesting, and I didn't really realize the kind of creative connection to Yorovsky's Dune. But anyway, mm. that's an aside. Um, you know, Lynch's Dune, it's for me, it's like a fever dream, and um, and I appreciate the lack of kind of um, narrative connectivity in some ways because of the enhanced aspects of especially sound. I mean, it's just this incredible soundscape. Um, and, and obviously the, the, you know, the trippy visuals and, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, what's her name, Virginia Madsen, like randomly floating by, you know, like for no reason. <laughs> um, but in this moment or in moments of just kind of like total unsettledness, which, you know, this can feel like a fever dream. Like, I don't know about you guys, but every morning so far I've woken up and I'm like, is it, is this for real? Like, like, yeah. And that, that aspect of, you know, a lot of Lynch, Lynch's work, but especially Dune. And I know that, you know, he would probably argue that a lot of the disconnectivity is the fault of the producers or whatever, you know, not him. It wasn't intentional necessarily, but whatever it works for me and you know um it has worked for me for as long as um i first saw it i mean which i was probably too young um i didn't see it in the theater but i i saw it soon thereafter i think my brother had a vhs tape or something um and and it's one of those things and you can pop in at any point in the narrative because what the fuck um (laughs) and i'm sorry i can't know no there's no bad language on this but um (laughs) Uh, PG thirteen. Okay. Speaking of eighties, we have a yeah. huge ch- uh, following among uh, school school age children. Okay, I will I will refrain from <laughs> no. using body mouth language. Clint, Clint is. Clint I'm, is kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, you could. You may now. Who knows? <laughs> Although I also anyway, think I saw yeah. Dune when I was probably like ten or twelve. Yeah. And there are cert- <laughs> that image of the uh, the spice generating alien creature uh, floating or that you know what are they called the ancients they're called the Uh, um no they're called something else you know Um, what i'm talking about it's like yes i do and they become mutated by the spy by their exposure to spice for so many for so long they call the navigator yeah yeah Yeah, that is like seared in my memory and then yeah yeah well and obviously you know sting of course (laughs) i mean just like sting yeah (laughs) yeah I, I actually, I was, you know, I was on the jury in Berlin, um, low two years ago, which now seems like, you know, will be one of my life highlights because who knows, but, um, Trudy, Trudy Styler was one of my jury mates and I got to admit to Trudy Styler that, um, her husband in that movie was super formative of my sexuality. So my sexuality is basically sting in Dune. So... <laughs> <laughs> Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Jay Hoberman on Thomas Heise's essay film Heimat is a Space in Time, Michael Kresge on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Plus, Spike Lee's trusted costume designer Ruthie Carter, Isabel Huppert in Lulu, George Romero's Lost Film, and much more. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Yeah, I, I saw it way too early, um, and in, in a way, I've tried to preserve that first 
you know, strangeness, you know, that, yeah. that encounter you have. With uh, were the you guys fans force. of the of the novel when you went before you saw it? Not before I saw it. After, um, and I have to admit, I'm I'm also a fan of the TV version that came out, um, which is really hard to find now, and I can't find it. I mean, I'm sure if I dug the crevices of the internet, I could find it, but. It wasn't bad. I don't know if you remember that. No, um, I forget I never who saw that. put that together. It was like AMC or something, but it was like a three or four part series. And William Hurt starred as oh, right. um, Atreides, and I forget who Paul was. Um, but anyway, it, it turned out it turned out well as well. And oh, obviously, like a separate uh, a, se- a a totally separate series version. Totally, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, same I was not aware same, of at all. Dune story, right? Like that that same kind of period, Paul Drady's story, but um, it was done as yeah, as serial form. Um, and and again, it was it was probably in the I want to say it was like the early two thousands, maybe late nineties. Um, it looks like it came out in two thousand. Yeah. Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Um, and obviously excited for Denise version. Whenever we will be able to see that, I hope he's editing that right now, and not. I hope they wrap shooting, but right. Yeah. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, he definitely has the kind of complete, like total cinema going yeah. with his control of audio, visual, texture. But I'm very exactly. curious about that. Um, I don't. I I know. I know people hate mentioning it about Dune, but it, it is kind of it is kind of poignant to think that how much Lynch, you know, regards it as one of a, a low point in his career when it, it's when there's just nothing like it. You know, I mean. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I I think I I get it in a way um, when you have such a bad experience, a work experience, no matter how much love is actually, you know, put towards that in in the future, it it is hard to get past the experience of, but, uh, you know, of of what actually happened on set and, you know, and afterwards. But um, I also hope he knows that it is something that a lot of us gravitate towards when we need it, you know, and really, really glad it's there. And and I'm glad it's available on a lot of different platforms, I think, right now. So well I yeah. might have to revisit it actually. Yeah. No, you're there you go. All yeah, right, me sold. too. It's been <laughs> I mean the way you're describing it now, it's like, yeah, this is exactly what I need right now. Yeah. And if you actually have yeah. access to um well, I'm going to say edibles because whatever it's PG thirteen. Um <laughs> highly recommend that as well. Yeah. Spice, spice, I believe. Spice, is the there ex- you go. Correct. The there you go. Spice. The spice must flow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, the. I mean, I, I. There's just something about it where it, it's like sufficiently outlandish. I mean, that's the thing about also the moment now. It's that it's so hard to describe because it's unfamiliar, or yeah. at least for a certain generation, it's unfamiliar. So the things you don't think of are the things that'll happen. But then there happen like little details that sound as if they might be from. A, a science fiction movie not i mean not so outlandish but the thing about not having a sense of smell as being a yeah. precursor it exactly. sounds like it was like something I from a know. screenplay like an early beat <laughs> in a yeah. screenplay um wait yeah, what's yeah. listening to this although yeah. i will say i read somewhere <laughs> yeah. online that that is a common uh symptom for many flus and colds Oh. Wait, what's is not having a sense of smell one of the that symptoms? you lose uh, losing your oh, yeah. sense of smell? There, there's some news that that could be a sign of you developing COVID. But mm. I, I just feel obliged to um, fact check this a little bit. Yeah, that seems. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I should emphasize this podcast is not a substitute for official mm, medical yeah. advice. Yeah. <laughs> Other than the edible suggestion. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. 
not doctors, but we do <laughs> pretend that we are. Wait, wait, we don't even we don't pretend that we are either. Doctors um, of cinema. We are sure. doctors of cinema. Uh, well, but my my other choice um, for kind of comfort comfort cinema is definitely more related to our industry and all of the fun giggles and monstrosity that um, we <laughs> we embrace so ra- you know rabidly normally um, and now miss so dearly, and that's all about Eve, of course. Yeah. Yes, all about Eve. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so. What easy- about Eve? Well, you know, it's an easy one for me in a way because I do think it's a, a perfect film. Like when I, you know, inevitably ask that horrific question of like, what's your favorite movie? Or like, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. what's the best movie ever? I mean, I I always go to that um, because narratively, I mean, quite the opposite of Dune, it is so tight. I mean, it's just a brilliant, brilliant screenplay yeah. and has as its protagonists, you know, two women who um, each in their own right are deserving of like mammoth kind of, you know, post, you know, or like put the script aside. Like I want the biography of each of those um, women, you know, and so richly fleshed out. But for me, it's just like, God, I love a great house party. Right. And like that (laughs) post theater, like, you know, Margot Channing come over for cocktails thing is, I mean, it's just a dream. And, you know, I think we've all had that, you know, being New Yorkers, giving up a lot to be in a city where that was available to us on most nights, you know, kind of thing. That's why we did it. And that's why we're here. Um, And that's why we believe so strongly in a city, a metropolis that's built around money and art, you know, (laughs) like, um, And, um, you know, and obviously the theater, which that that movie is, I mean, for me, All About Eve is very much about the movies, just in terms of its exquisite construction and and performances and direction. But it's obviously centered in the theater world, which um, right now, you know, that that is a sad thing to be reminded of all of our friends and colleagues who are not um, on stage right now or in, in audiences appreciating their work. But my God, that, you know, New York is that world and and it has to come back so um and you know just reminding ourselves how damn hard we have to fight to make sure that it does come back so yeah it's for true, sure yeah. i mean yeah it's it, it yeah, you, yeah there's some like uh there's it also this is somehow captured in in kind of perfection <laughs> preserved for us <laughs> to, to see and you know, somebody wrote to me um, and kind of had, uh, oh, it was the, the cinephobe, right? They um, texted me something and and apologized for the snark. And I was like, oh, my God, if we lose wit in all of this, then, then we've truly lost, you know? Like, <laughs> we have to keep that. We have to keep that edge, you know, um, despite the, yeah, the pain. I've been thinking a lot about movies from the 30s and the 40s, too, as, a, as like a kind of like a guiding force a guiding light kind of to look towards this period of of uh american history anyway and you know global history when there was a lot of challenging things going on and that some of the best funniest most lively most optimistic um films that i can think of were made during this period of uh darkness yeah and you know i much prefer see i much prefer the palm beach story to you know uh what what's the John Ford uh, Grapes of Wrath? Mm, yeah, which I yeah 
yeah, I just think it's more, it has, it almost has more to say about that period of time than, I mean, yeah. 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 I think there's also something, um, comforting about like showbiz movies like these right now. And especially, you know, just leaning into the pettiness of (laughs) like that, that, that backstage pettiness of showbiz because, um, you know, we're, we're all, I guess, trying to kind of, uh, you know, keep the show going. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's somehow really comforting to kind of lean into the, the small worries that don't matter and let them like, you know, consume us. I mean, yeah. it feels luxurious, right? To, exactly. to remember. Yeah. Do you even feel like to, to be petty about so these luxurious. things? Is, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a luxury. And it, yeah. it also helps like put things, put your own work in perspective right now. You know? yeah. Speaking yeah. of pettiness, I watched uh, the most recent episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is forever a uh, comfort food for me. <laughs> yes. And, yes, uh, and it actually, you know, it was one of the few things where I'd didn't feel like it was a weird missive from a from an another era. Uh, I don't know why. Maybe because there was an episode where he was terrified of uh, getting diarrhea from somebody. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I also enjoyed, and also Abby Jacobson as the perfect delivery method for yes. that. Yes. Yeah, and the whole kind of improv thing when they're buying the new car was really great. I thought that was very yeah. funny. No, he's yeah, he's maintained um, interest. You know, like certain things. I, which I won't mention, just feel like, oh my God, were we really ever that superficial and stupid, you know? Right. But because he's maintained his, like, you know, complete assholeness through this, you know, through everything, um, I, I will be interested to see if he comes up with a season that is set in COVID, because that would be. I mean, he's got to do it. Wild. I was thinking, I was thinking about that too. Like, he's, I was like, yeah. this is perfect. Like, well, because everybody's like, he would just, destroy the people who are being so selfish right you know right, right, right now and like i don't know I, if you guys have many la friends but you know i've been in touch with a lot of them and i have family out there but their reaction to this is vastly different than new york's reaction huh um, in in what way well mostly in terms of the hoarding um which is facilitated i think by you know, automobiles and relatively giant houses, you know, but the ridiculousness of that versus like, again, in Brooklyn, being able to go to my Wegmans and having it, you know, for the most part, fully stocked. I mean, there was moments when people panicked a little bit about paper products, but the next day they were all back, you know, and because you can only schlep so much, you're not doing the hoarding thing in the same way. Um, But I think it's, it's even beyond that. Um, And I would be fascinated to see as a New Yorker, a translation of LA pettiness and stupidness in this moment. You know, <laughs> it's so. also, yeah, they're just like, people are, they seem to be panicking. I guess they're, they're not the only major emergencies that happen gent regularly are earthquakes. Whereas I feel like New Yorkers have like kind of the subway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah like the a daily thing where like everything yeah. society is collapsing every day and every minute as, <laughs> as you're making your way to work. Right, so, there's well, already vast inequality, and and you know, right. I don't know. Well, that exists well, in LA too on a daily basis. Yeah. True. Yeah. But you know, and many of us did live through the last um, true national trauma of you know 9/11, or I guess it was international ultimately. Yeah. And while this will you know um, 
likely be even more impactful. We have that experience. It's a little bit in our DNA. And I've certainly been going back to think about, you know, how my boss at the time, I worked at the Guggenheim at the time and a very small film department there. But, you know, just thinking back to what my boss at the time did um, to reassure and help and guide and lead and um, and thinking about how those lessons can be applied for me now as someone who's in the position to try and do those things for a team. Um, I'm glad I have that, you know, like yeah. I hated that experience. I hated that trauma. It was, you know, but at the same time now I'm like, Oh, at least I have something to look to. Right. Like I have some guidepost yeah, of some like, barometer. what do you do? Right. Yeah. Which yeah. makes us superior yeah. to people in LA. I all right. It's really that what we're, con- what we've <laughs> oh, come God. to. I think we, we can all agree. All this I'm LA, New York talk. Um, <laughs> my bad, my bad. I'll take it back. I'll walk. <laughs> I actually I'll walk watched back, a movie Claire. this weekend yeah. that was about showbiz pettiness in Tampa, Florida. Uh, and then it takes the, the story moves to South Carolina. Um, anyone have any guesses what I'm talking I'm- about? I mean, Tampa to South I happen Carolina. to know, so I can't guess. Yes, Nick, you <laughs> does, it, does it star Tony Collette? Because it sounds like something she would do. It doesn't. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't. It um, stars. Well, it doesn't star, but it features Elizabeth Banks. Okay. In a small role. Huh. That's, okay. I'm. I'm not gonna guess. Stumped. <laughs> it's about a convention in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. It culminates in a convention been to and i am horrified <laughs> at the thought but yeah did, did well we i saw magic anxiety? mike yeah. xxl oh okay is there a hooters involved there isn't but i yeah. I, I just said it it's magic mike xxl oh that's what it is oh. yes <laughs> okay i watched the first one i never watched xxl because i'm not a size queen um but whatever yeah. <laughs> wait i actually love the first movie kind I of do even too, yeah. more yeah but it's awesome but the second one is definitely more joyful, and I guess kind of what um, I needed. I watched it with some girlfriends, and mm-hmm. uh, when I say with, like you know, virtually, uh, we just kind of watch it at the same time. And I will say, there is this is also. I mean, it's almost like a sci-fi movie in some ways. It's <laughs> it's so surreal, and not just you know, not that. Uh, you know, everything that happens in the movie is so unrealistic, but it just has such a flimsy excuse for a plot. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just like all these various dancing and stripping and performance and like spectacle scenes strung together. And the plot is just so contrived. And there's like that kind of uh, what we were talking about, this pettiness. Uh, and, you know, it's like kind of people hustling and people trying to make it in this sort of performance industry and uh, clashing egos and, you know, uh, trying brainstorming and trying to come up with ideas and, uh, and wanting to be the center of attention, all that stuff. But it's just so utterly artificial and clearly just scaffolding for all these scenes of performance. And, you know, I, I felt like that was the perfect viewing for me. Uh, I didn't want anything to make sense. I didn't want it to feel realistic. I wanted to be just suspended like a cinema of attractions kind of thing where I, I just want to be, wanted to be suspended in like the, you know, sensory and, and visual, uh, 
and performative pleasures of it all. So then I'm going to go ahead and recommend anything by Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was thinking about that. Why was it? I was reading a, I'm I'm reading a novel in which the protagonist watches showgirls, and then, uh, I like fake. She, it's the my year of rest and relaxation. I don't know okay. if anyone here has read so. it, and and she's basically lies to her therapist about the dreams that she has in order to get certain kinds of medication, and so she basically like takes the plot of showgirls. And and ter- tells her therapist the plot of and Shogun. recites it as the as a dream. Wait, Showgirls is Verhoeven, right? Am I just? Am I uh-huh. It is very yes, much yes, so. Very, okay. very much so. so. <laughs> I can and, recommend doing. Um, maybe you could do this as like a Zoom party or something, but watching Showgirls, but turning the volume off and getting really drunk with friends and doing the lines yourself. Oh, that's a great I, idea. Oh. That actually, my. <laughs> 25th birthday party or something like that where the movie had come out like a year or two before and we rented the den of sin i don't know if you remember two boots pizza in east village used to have this like video store and downstairs you could like Mm, rent out a little space and project one of the movies and so we did that um and got trashed and live (laughs) reenacted showgirls it was amazing wow this is this is like a very child-friendly podcast isn't it (laughs) i was was gonna say um you know that the the soft core thing is uh probably also going to be very much appreciated in um these days and so i would reference Again, MoMA's uh, recent exhibition um, that featured some actual hardcore porn, but also the Bruce LeBruce show that we did a few mm-hmm. years back. Um, all of these are available online to reference. And, you know, I, I saw the New York City guidelines for sex in the era of COVID. These are like literally city government I was reading issued that too. Guidelines. They are so and detailed, which is pretty amazing. That- it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But the first one is your best um, sex partner right now is yourself, which I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Yes. There you go. <laughs> like It has detailed instructions on uh, cleaning your keyboard. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. Wow. There you go. <laughs> well, we're we're always here to help dispense advice, <laughs> and so there, you, there you have another website we can recommend. Um, yeah. Goodness, <laughs> um, yeah, Showgirls, yeah, Verhoeven also probably good just for the like weird corrupt excess of of the moment and part of why we're in this moment uh, i think oh totally i mean basically starship troopers is a documentary of our time right (laughs) just like where the idiots in charge are like literally in charge right now and the bugs are not quite as big as they are in that movie but they're still bugs that invade us you know like so there yeah, you go. that's my yeah. analysis. Yeah. And 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 RoboCop being being part of it somehow all as well. The boardroom <laughs> scene when the when the guy gets killed by the by the yeah <laughs> yeah truly one of yeah. truly a classic it's scene. Great. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, for for my part, I've I've had found a bit of escapism in in um in perhaps unexpected place. Um, just with uh, actually a new director's movie, um, which I've been thinking a lot about. Um, a window Boy would also like to have a submarine. Mm, um, yeah. Just in the sense of the 
you know the the kind of obvious power powers of like mutability and transportation that you have where you walk through one door and you're somewhere else um and also just the sense of how literally things are 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 connected um in in curious yeah. ways um and yeah and also what a nightmare would be to be trapped on a cruise ship <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes of course yeah that's right <laughs> Um, yeah, thank yeah. you for giving a little shout out to new directors, which um, mournfully will not be launching in two days, uh, but at a later date yet to be announced. Uh, but yeah, thinking about um, what would have normally happened on Wednesday night, which is all of the New York film community gathering at MoMA um, to celebrate the kind of launch of the new spring season. Um, and I hope that people will keep that in mind as you know we kind of go through the next couple of weeks and think about the opportunities that we'll have in the near future, hopefully, to recreate that energy and kind of recharge each other, um, which that, that event always kind of felt like a, a recharge event. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that lineup has also, I mean, I've also watched a few films from the lineup. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's a, uh, it's been a great way to like watch new stuff, but still feel comforted. Because I think yeah. we were talking to someone recently about how they've been wary of watching stuff that they haven't seen or don't know if it's good. Because right okay. now they just want the, um, you know, just the pleasure of something that is certified goodness is, you know, this is a movie yeah. where the filmmaker knows what they're doing. I'm going to get, uh, you know, this like well-oiled product. Um, mm-hmm. And but it's been nice to watch the new director's uh, films because you know, uh, I kind of trust that series having, having uh, gone the last few years and really enjoyed it. I trust, uh, you know, you guys to pick, pick the best new stuff out there. And I saw uh, the shepherdess and the seven songs. Yeah. Pretty incredible. It's, it's so beautiful and it's all sort of in the Himalayas and it's outdoors. And I, what I found really striking was um, this like kind of topographical, camera work where because it's it's all on these mountain slopes it's there's almost like a vertical mise-en-scene even though Mm -hmm. you know people are moving horizontally across the landscape but it's it's so disorienting because yeah there's the the horizon is so kind of high up and it feels like there's um something very strangely three-dimensional about it uh and and it's just yeah it's gorgeous and most of it kind of takes place very uh, close to nature. So that's been, um, you know, a fun watch as well. And then I saw The Cloud in Her Room, uh, which I believe won an award at Rotterdam. Yeah, I think and, that's right. Yeah, I mean, so we were talking about these, some of the films being anxiety-inducing uh, in this, like, very topical way. And The Cloud in Her Room is, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of refreshing right now because it, it's just very smooth i wouldn't say that it doesn't have its moments of anxiety and distress but uh it's it's just a film that has this very kind of muted emotional tone um you know and ca- kind of captures this woman's she's like a college-aged woman in china and it's it's a brief moment i guess uh in in her life as she's visiting home for New Year's and just kind of interacting with various characters. And it's just a kind of film that, you know, floats through various vignettes and moments and captures the 
like insouciance and and kind of uh, the inflated moodiness that often comes with youth. And I found that also a really nice uh, break from everything. Yeah, I can't wait to share these all with um, actual audiences, but your descriptions are actually super moving. So I would keep at it. I, <laughs> you could you could literally podcast the films, but this has been amazing, guys. I'm going to have to jump off, but um, thank you for keeping the discussion going and uh, keeping cinema culture alive. Thank you so much for joining us and, and, and same to you as well. And uh, stay safe. And we, we hope to, to gather it all together and then see a movie together at some point and new Absolutely. directors or wherever. And in the meantime, <laughs> we'll keep our uh, eyes on moma.org slash magazine. Perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right. Stay safe, guys. Bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Michael Kresge on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com.